0: Um, Glenn does ask me to remind you that um, if you uh, want to take your children out to the cry room, the heaters are on in there. Um, if you go off by yourself, I shall notice. <laughs> Let's pray. Father God, thank you that we can be here this morning, Lord, that we could have celebrated your goodness and the fact that you are coming back. Lord, I, I pray that as we now look at this chapter from Proverbs, so that you would teach us, Mm -hmm. that you would guide us into wise lives, Father. Holy Spirit, may you speak through me this morning. May you help us to hear and understand. Amen. Over the last few weeks, for those of you, uh, Helen and John, who have not been here, we've been looking, sorry to pick on you, we've been looking at this whole question of uh, living wise lives, um, lives that are successful in God's eyes. And we saw in the, in the first seven verses that, that the foundation for a wise life is having a healthy fear of God. And, and we decided that, that, that a requirement for being wise is being a Christian, is, is living for God and, and making Him the center of all that we do and think and are. And we went on in the second week, we looked at, at the second half of chapter one and we saw that the choices that we make, kind of like Zimri the Zant, the choices that we make have consequences. And we saw that that, that, that choosing to live a wise life uh, brings incredible rewards. But on the flip side, if you choose to live foolishly, uh, your foolishness will catch up with you. And that's not a very good thing to happen. And then last week in chapter 2, we looked and we, we listened to... to uh, to wisdom prophesy to us how God calls us to turn to him and be saved? And we saw last week that, that, that all these promises of, of wisdom and wise living and a successful life are, um, are made available in the person of Jesus Christ. This morning we're uh, skipping a few chapters. We're, we're skipping uh, chapters three, chapter four and chapter 5 and we're jumping straight through to chapter 6. If you do get a chance, read through those chapters this afternoon. They've got some good stuff to say. You know, one of the things I really love about the book of Proverbs is just how down to earth and practical it is in terms of what it has to say to us. It's it's not so much about theory and uh, big ideas out there. It's about how We live our lives as followers of God in the here and in the now. It's about the experience of wise living. And here in chapter 6, I'd like to suggest to us this morning, we come face to face with, with the reality of how wisdom speaks into our different relationships and our different social circles. And we'll see in the first few verses how how wisdom addresses us in in, in our work environment. And then we'll see after that um, what wisdom has to say about relationships in general um, and adultery in specific. And you know, you'd be excused for thinking that this is a very negative chapter. It's it's all about don't do this and, and don't do that and, and the fool does this, and God hates this kind of person, and, and the Lord despises someone like this. But, but hopefully this morning is not going to be a negative sermon for you guys. Uh, because wisdom is not out to slap us on the wrist and, and just to tick us off. Wisdom is out to teach us how to live godly, wise lives. If you've got your bulletin, it's kind of like the picture on the front of your bulletin. Um, This is actually an optical illusion called a Ruben's Vase. Um, If you look at it one way, it's a picture of a vase in the black. But if you look at the white parts around the vase, if you don't have one, grab one afterwards, it's two faces looking at each other. And it's the same with with today's passage. It's trying to tell us how we need to relate to one another by describing for us how we mustn't relate to one another. It's drawing the outline of the vase, and in so doing it, it reveals the way of wisdom. So let's begin. The first few verses, uh, as I said, are all about our work relationships. And, and we start here in chapter 6, verse 1, with this picture of, of a man who has gone and, and, and put up financial security for someone. And maybe it's somebody he knows, um, uh, his neighbor perhaps, it's the first part of verse 1. And maybe it's just somebody he's bumped into on the street. Uh, the NIV says, um, chapter 6, verse 1, if you have struck hands in pledge for another, the, the word there for another is actually the word for a stranger. So we've got this person who has just gone and, and stood guarantor for for a random person. Well, to me it sounds, I mean, it sounds kind of innocuous. But Proverbs is pretty strong and says that this is not a wise move and, and says that this person has really trapped themselves by their financial dealings. They've, they've really in essence put themselves under somebody else's power. They, they've put themselves in a position where they are responsible for somebody else's potential foolishness or potential wisdom. The way Proverbs puts it in in verse 3 is is this person has put themselves, uh, they've fallen into their neighbor's hands. Basically, these first five verses come and say to us, if you're in that situation, get out of it as soon as you possibly can. Uh, And that might be difficult. You're probably going to have to eat humble pie. You're going to have to go pleading and begging this person to to let you out of your promise to support them, but at least, verse 5, you would be free. And you're sitting here thinking, what on earth has that got to do with me? Two weeks ago, when we looked at the second half of chapter 1, we saw that um, our actions have consequences. And, and I think what these first few verses of Proverbs chapter 6 are trying to tell us is that really we don't want to end up being responsible for the consequences of somebody else's actions. That's what happens when you stand guarantor for somebody. You you say, I will be responsible for for your financial wealth. Uh, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying Christians may not stand guarantor. Um, Notice in verse 2, there's a very big if. Um, Basically, what Proverbs is saying, um, if you're in the situation and you find that you've tied yourself to a sinking ship, you have to get away from that as soon as you possibly can. You have to do all in your power to break free. You you don't want to be responsible for somebody else's actions. But you know, as, as I thought about this, and, and it seems pretty down the line, it, it seems common sense advice. But the more I thought about it, it, it strikes me that, that grace, amazing grace as we're saying, puts a different slant on this common sense sort of wisdom, doesn't it? Because ultimately, isn't grace all about facing somebody else's consequences for their actions. I mean, isn't it grace that Jesus Christ came and he, and he took our foolishness on Himself and He suffered the consequences of our sin on His own body? I mean, isn't it grace that He came and stood guarantor for our lives even though He knew we were spiritually bankrupt? And isn't it the same sort of grace that we see in the book of Philemon? As Paul writes to his friend Philemon about uh, Onesimus, the runaway slave, and and Paul says in verse 17 of Philemon, um, Philemon, my friend, if your runaway slave Onesimus owes you anything, charge it to my account. I'll take responsibility for what he stole. I mean, that's how grace comes. Grace comes and says, I will sacrifice myself for another person's freedom. I will face their consequences and pay the price myself. So, is, is this a case of the Old Testament telling us one thing and the New Testament showing us something else? Uh, I, I don't think so. I think what we've got to do is put the two together and say that common sense wisdom here in the first five verses says don't take on responsibility for somebody else's actions. But the New Testament comes in and adds to that unless you are willing to pay the price. Unless you are willing to pay the price totally. Totally we go on in in verses 6 to 11 with with probably one of the best known quotations from the book of Proverbs. I mean, who hasn't heard, go to the ant, you sluggard. Um, A bit of trivia for you, the word sluggard or lazy bones um, is found 14 times in the book of Proverbs and nowhere else in the whole of the Old Testament. Um, And Proverbs is not too positive about the sluggard. And I think really, if the first few verses tell us to not, o- not to overcommit ourselves, if verses six to eleven come the other tack and say, don't undercommit yourself in your relationships at work uh, and, and for life. Wisdom comes to the lazy bones and, and basically says, "Take a look at the ant and how industrious it is so that it can provide for itself, but the lazy bones, verse 9, just can't be bothered. He's too busy relaxing. And says, wisdom, this little bit of sleep, this little bit of resting, this little bit of closing the eyes, it adds up to big trouble, big consequences. And before he knows it, the lazy bones, the sluggard, finds himself in poverty of his own making. And you probably know that that in the, uh, the New Testament, Paul goes pretty hard against uh, lazy bones and sluggards as well. Um, 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 6 forwards, Paul tells us actually that, that his running command was that if you don't work, you don't get to eat. And he goes on in verse 11 of 2 Thessalonians 3 and he tells us that the problem was that these sluggards instead of working for a living we're going around meddling in the affairs of everyone else causing trouble and and disruption and strife and and I think what we have got to say from from here in Proverbs and from what Paul says is is that really at the root of laziness is a lack of of love and concern for others. It's, it's this attitude of, I want to freeload on you. I want you to cover me. I, I don't want to be bothered for myself. In fact, I'm so not bothered that I'm willing to put myself under your power. My very life will be dependent on your goodwill towards me. And so we come to, to verses 12 to 19 of chapter 6. So we've had wisdom saying to us, don't be over-committed, don't be under-committed. And we come to these verses 12 to 19 and, and really what we got here is the core of Proverbs chapter 6, the backbone. Because here what wisdom is doing for us is describing the character of, of, of a villain and a scoundrel and really the ultimate fool. And we're told that this person is someone, verse 13, who's always communicating these, these hidden little messages, like a wink-wink a to those in the know, and, and uh, uh, pointing of the fingers with these little secret messages. And, uh, I, I have no idea how they pass messages with their feet, but, but that's the idea. And the impression you get is of this person who thinks himself so important and thinks himself so in the know is you have to be in on the secret to get what he's saying. What says verse 14 to us, even though he tries to look so important, he's actually rotten to the core. He's, he's actually only all about causing dissension and unrest. Uh, to borrow what Paul says in 2 Thessalonians, this this villain, this fool is is out to meddle in other people's business, to, to stir up disharmony, to, to stir up unpleasantness. And just look at, at the shape of the fool. This 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 fool's vase description. Verse seventeen. He's got haughty eyes. Isn't it? He's got the sense of pride and arrogance about him. He lies. He murders. Verse 18, he wants to be wicked. He rushes into evil. He's more than happy to be a false witness. And ultimately, he stirs up trouble. And he stands, says verse 16, for everything that God hates. Oh, isn't that a strong word? This is, this is a description of what God hates. Or well, to put it even stronger, what God detests. That, that, that He cannot stand. You know, when you go into a room that, that's had um, a smell in it that you cannot stand, and you walk in and your nose crinkles up, and you walk straight out again, you detest it. That, that's the thing here. Yeah, this, this description of a fool, a villain, God detests. And you know that thing in verse 16 where it says, the six things that God hates, no, the seven things that God detests. That, that, that's like a shorthand way of making two points. Um, one, that the list is not conclusive. But two, that, that the seventh thing sums up everything else, brings it all together. It's, it's the capstone of the list. In other words, what sums up the villain, the scoundrel, the fool is that they are out to cause dissension and trouble and unrest. And when you think about it, isn't that the complete opposite to God's character? I mean, He is the God, as we remembered again this morning, who is all about reconciliation and unity and and, and community and calling us to be His people. I mean, that's the story of, of His dealings with us since the year dot That's the reason why Jesus came, so that we could be recon, reconciled and reunited with God and with one another. And we saw a, a week ago that wisdom is all about God coming and calling us to live at peace with each other and with God Himself. But says Proverbs 6, verses 12 to 19, the villain, the fool, wants nothing to do with that. And the prime villain, verse thirteen, thought himself so clever. Thought that he could cause dissension even among the Godhead. And so when Jesus came, he tried to tempt Jesus and said, Won't you ignore the Father and turn to me? And when that failed, he went as far as having Jesus Christ killed. And I suspect that that, that Satan, the prime villain, was so sure that he had done away with Jesus, that that it caused a, a permanent rift, dissension within the Godhead, that, that I, I'm sure that Satan was sure that he had put paid to God's plans of reconciliation and unity and, and peace and community. But we know different, don't we? And we know, verse 15, that disaster soon overtakes the villain. And we know that no amount of it of dissension can stand against God's plan of redemption. And we know that that Satan himself and all those who are foolish enough to follow him and not turn to God will suddenly, without remedy, be destroyed. Which brings us to the last half of chapter six. And I'm sure you've been sitting here wondering how on earth is Nick going to bring a sermon about work and and this villain and adultery into one whole? Let's be honest with ourselves here. Satan is the epitome of the, the fool, the villain described in verses 12 to 19. And he is out to sow discord and dissension and disunity wherever he can. And he's absolutely not above abusing and corrupting the good gifts that God has given us uh, towards trying to disrupt our community as followers of God. And one of the things he loves to use uh, is sex, but, but not as, as God designed it between a husband and a wife, Satan comes and he corrupts it and he says, no'm I'm, I'm going I'm to sow discord by encouraging things like adultery." Now chapter five and chapter seven is all about adultery, if you feel like you want to read more about what wisdom says. But here in chapter six, wisdom's focus is on how adultery can ruin unity and harmony. And community, and peace. When I mean, look at verse twenty-four, wisdom has been given to us from God so that we can stay away from the immoral woman, uh, from the smooth tongue of the wayward wife, um, or the wayward husband. <laughs> Wisdom tells us to not fall prey to the allure of another person's spouse. And since verse 25, don't give sin a toehold, don't, don't give in to lust. You remember what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 28. Uh, he says, um, if, if you so much as look as another person with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery with them. And Jesus goes on in in Matthew 5, he says, look, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away because it's better for you to lose a part of your body than it is for you yourself to be thrown into hell. In other words, what Jesus is saying and, and what Proverbs is saying is that rejecting God and and choosing a foolish path such as adultery has consequences Jesus says it's got eternal consequences if you don't repent And, and wisdom says well it's got some consequences here and now as well verse 26 adultery comes at a heavy price ultimately your life. Verse 32 tells us that you will end up destroying yourself. Verse 27 tells us adultery is like playing with a deadly fire. You end up getting burnt. And I think wisdom's main emphasis here is that adultery is an intrusion into the unity of marriage that God has established. And when you have an intrusion into unity, what do you get but disunity and dissension and trouble and strife? And we see in Proverbs 6, people might understand if you steal a loaf of bread because you're so hungry. But if you're caught, you're going to pay the price. But if you commit adultery, oh, People will react. And the jealous husband or the jealous wife has every right to react. And it's not a small thing, says verse 35, that you can just pay a fine and get away with it. But you're probably sitting here going, yeah, that's cool. Not really on the prowl at the moment, Nick. Nick nobody's on the prowl at the moment, are they? <laughs> and, and look, that's good. That's very good. But you know, wisdom is, is, is written to people like us in exactly this situation. Chapter 6 is not saying, don't go out looking for an adulterous relationship. The Bible says that elsewhere. What chapter 6 is on about is saying, don't allow yourself to be entrapped and ensnared by somebody else. Hold fast, verse 20. Protect the commands and the instruction and the wisdom of God. Run away from situations where you might be tempted. Because the way of wisdom is the way of of community and reconciliation and adultery is everything that is not. And God hates it to boot. So what is chapter six all about? Let, let me finish here. Chapter six is about showing us what the wise life does not look like. Chapter six tells us that that the wise person doesn't put himself or herself at somebody else's mercy or underneath somebody else's power unless they are willing to pay the price. Wisdom tells us that, that a wise person is not an idler. He neither over nor under A wise person we're told is, is to be everything that a fool is not. A wise person is one who fears the Lord, not one whom God looks and says, I hate that character. A wise person is a person that strives for God's unity and peace and runs as fast as they can from anything and everything that would sow discord and disunity. Hopefully this morning we've seen the vase. If you haven't seen the faces yet, sometimes it takes some time to just stare at it. I cannot look at this and see a vase anymore. Hopefully with some time as you ponder through what we've seen in chapter 6, you will not see these negative instructions but, but you will see the inverse of what it means to live a wise life seeking peace and unity.